Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, July 26th, 2022, the 552nd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you who are paid subscribers on the Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. If you are, you will know. That's the only way to hear the podcast on the day of its release. Otherwise, you're waiting for like a day and a half or so. And I get it if it's not that important to you or you're having hard times financially. And if you are, by the way, get in touch with me. I'll give you a year's subscription because generous people in the Telegram chat have sponsored year's subscription for people who are struggling right now. I have had a hard two years. I'm very humble about that. You don't have to feel weird in any way for reaching out and asking for that. All I would ask in return is that you use the subscription, you keep listening to the show, and you share it with your friends. It's that simple. But if you're able to support the show, I would surely appreciate it. And you can sign up for as little as 
$50 a year or $5 a month. It comes out to less than a quarter per episode. Plus you get the writing right when I release it. All right. Enough of that. I am a little fired up today. It's a pretty good day. There's so much going on and we're going to get into it. There's a lot of good stuff happening, especially as it concerns our elections and the efforts to rectify the stolen election in 2020 and the stolen elections that have happened since November 3rd, 2020. But first, I want to talk about my good friend, John Harold, who you know as Patel Patriot. He was on Real America's Voice this morning with Ed Henry. He popped on for a 10 minute interview on devolution. And this is the first time that he's, as far as I know, been on a even semi-mainstream news program. We all kind of do one another's shows. We all kind of talk amongst ourselves. And we all generally understand one another's theory of the case about where we see things going. Some people are guided by Q drops and the information and research coming from that area of study. Patel Patriot has been working on the theory of devolution, which he admits he didn't first think up. He just did all the research and laid it out for everyone else. And he pounds that research better than anyone pounds research. It's incredible the work he produces. And a lot of people just dismiss it out of hand. Now, I've told him, so I have no problem telling you, I'm not 100% convinced that that's what's going on, but if I was to bet on it, I think he's either right or mostly right about his assessment of the current situation and about where that's headed. I think there's incredible value in his work, and if it turns out that he is right, he's going to be one of the most significant writers to emerge from this period. There's no doubt about that. He will, I think have a place in American history. People will read his work a hundred years from now. If he's right, I think the exact same thing about the work that Garrett Ziegler and Marco Polo are doing. When that report comes out, that will be the definitive report about the Hunter Biden laptop. That laptop contains evidence of a family's criminal corruption spanning decades. It's evidence of the perversion and degeneracy of, of the Biden family as the head of that family sits in the position of fake president right now, unless somehow the communists win and are able to memory hole all of that, that report is going to be read in a hundred years. And as you know, I fully expect us to win. We will not stop until we do. And so to me, that stuff is guaranteed. Now, again, I don't know that John's 100% right. I know his work is significant. He's researching real things with the documentation to prove them. Does it make the overall theory of the case true? We can't know that yet. So if you don't have any doubt, you might be misplacing your faith, right? You got to remain skeptical or else it gets easy to trick you, to lead you off the path. So... He went on the show today and it was clear that Ed Henry and his co-host, and I'm sorry, I don't know her name and I'm not going to look because it's irrelevant. They hadn't read the devolution series and 
So I think that people's initial reaction was to be upset about that. Like, why aren't they able to interview him with the background on his work so that they can have an intelligent conversation about devolution? And I don't think that that matters. I'm actually kind of happy that they were completely ignorant about it because it gave him the opportunity to discuss devolution at a very basic level. He's been writing this series for a year now, maybe more than a year. And so the conversations that are being had around devolution that actually include Patel Patriot are being had at a very high level with people who understand devolution and are familiar with his body of work. But that's not how you get new people to read and understand devolution. You have to break it down at a very basic level. You have to give people the general broad strokes. This is what this is. If those hosts weren't challenging him like, hey, you know, that just really sounds speculative. We can't just go ahead and believe that. Why aren't things happening by now? Those are relevant questions. Okay. They're kind of annoying questions for people who have covered that ground time and time and time again for a year or for two years. But for the general public that aren't sold, maybe they've gone about their own lives. They believe that something weird happened in the election, but they're not 100% certain it was stolen. They know that there was some rigging here and there, but they don't kind of get the whole thing. They don't understand how if Trump put any plans in place, he wouldn't have acted on them by now. There are smart and well-informed people who just can't go down those roads because it just seems too outlandish. They can't see it represented in reality. It doesn't map onto reality for them. Part of that is because they're not spending enough time observing reality. But the other part of that is their lack of familiarity with his actual body of work. I myself am very skeptical in general. I have always been skeptical. But skepticism doesn't require that you never believe anything. You can't 100% prove to more skeptical people. And that's kind of what I was discussing last week as far as evidence goes. The framework that Patel Patriot lays out throughout the devolution series actually is evidence that Donald Trump may have put this plan in place, this continuity of government plan. That is what Patel Patriot is laying out. If you remain unconvinced, that's fine. He and I have even discussed this before. It's ultimately going to be a matter of faith to 100% believe in devolution at this point until you see it all come out, all laid out in the real world until something major happens on some level. It's an act of faith to think and say, this is what's happening. People will have more or less faith in that. But the truth is any belief is ultimately based on faith because we can never have perfect knowledge. And that's the problem with scientific materialism. As I was describing last week, it still requires an act of faith that the science is being done correctly and by people who are acting in good faith. They're not corrupt. They're not incentivized to misuse the scientific method or misuse scientific authority. Think about all the people walking around with masks on. They can't prove masks work at all. 
but they believe masks work 100%. And the reason they believe it is because the scientists who they've put their faith in say that masks work. They ignore all the science and all the scientists who say that masks don't work. That is an act of faith. That is putting your faith in false authority. Listening to some set of scientists that the TV tells you are the good ones is not remotely the same as trusting the scientific method to inform you about the state of reality. It's ultimately only an act of faith. Look at the real world. If masks work, why didn't they? Why is there no proof of them working? If masks work, why did we consider for a while? Why did Anthony Fauci consider for a while that maybe two masks would be better or maybe three masks would be better? Why were we allowed to wear bandanas in places that required masks, except on planes where there was an air filtration system? Why does the CDC now say that you need to be wearing a well-fitted high filtration mask? What happened to our cloth and surgical masks that 90% of the population wears? What happened to that? Oh, they realize they don't work at all. So they are trying to tell you, you must have a well-fitting high filtration mask because that's the only chance, even theoretically, that masks could help prevent the spread of an aerosolized virus. But that requires the mask fitting perfectly. You can't have stubble or a beard on your face if you're a man. You can't take the mask on and off all day. You can't work out in the mask. You can't get the mask rained on. You can't use that same mask over and over and over again because that's not how the masks work. So when Anthony Fauci or Barbara Ferrer tells you, oh, we're just trying to get a little extra layer of protection, it could catch a droplet. No, it can't. That's not the scientific method. That's not science being practiced in good faith. That is Anthony Fauci understanding that he has been identified as an authority figure and he is abusing his authority and the people who believe him are putting their faith in false authority. That's all that is. That's actually even worse than a conspiracy theory. It's so dumb. At least people with conspiracy theories think in multiple steps. At least they have some map of what their belief is. Like I would rather hear someone intelligently describe Russiagate to me being entirely wrong the entire time, right? Only false premises, but they think that because it's all consistent, they've memorized the entire story that makes it real. No, it's still a conspiracy theory because every element of it is false. But even that is infinitely smarter than walking around with two masks on that don't do anything for a disease that can't kill you. And you've already been vaccinated four times for. So when someone who wears two masks tells me that devolution doesn't make sense, I say, okay, Kami, good luck with that. Now, I'm not saying Ed Henry or the other host wore two masks. I have no idea how many masks they wore. I don't know whether or not they've read the devolution series, but I do know that in the interview, it didn't seem like they had which people are upset about, but I think is perfectly fine and probably gave John the opportunity to explain devolution on a very basic level, open up some eyes, open up some minds, 
and get more people to come and look at the work. He said specifically, I'm not making this up. The documentation is there. You can read it. Decide for yourself. That's the point. No one has to trust devolution and trusting devolution shouldn't make you stop doing what you're doing to help rectify the situation in whatever way you can, even if that's just communicating with your peers and being honest and telling the truth and not backing down when people don't know what they're talking about. No one has to believe Patel Patriot, just like no one has to believe me. Everyone needs to reach their own conclusions. That's just fine. That's exactly how everything is supposed to work. That's part of the purpose of this entire period. In fact, that's one of the things that gives purpose to this entire period. The awakening is about people relying on their own ability to discern truth, which means you have to continually develop your ability to discern truth. It's about regaining our ability to think critically. People are going to reach different conclusions because they're different people. They have different backgrounds. They have a different emotional makeup. They have different experiences. They have different perspectives on the world. They view the world in a different lens, each and every person. That's why everyone's contribution is so valuable. So the hosts keep asking, I think probably three times, like, why hasn't it happened yet? On what date is Trump going to make this move or is the military going to make this move? And it's no slight whatsoever to my friends and to the community that follows Q to say that a lot of the disappointment and a lot of what makes people not take Q seriously is that they believe there were a bunch of things that were supposed to happen on a bunch of dates and none of those things happened. Therefore, the whole thing is false. It's a failure. It doesn't make sense. It's a bunch of nonsense. It's a conspiracy theory. It's operation trust. It's just supposed to make everybody stupid. That's where that position comes from. That's the best argument towards that is that these things that were supposed to happen didn't happen on the dates that they were supposed to happen because that's the only way they understand what the Q thing is. That's an indication that they almost definitely haven't read the Q drops and that they haven't spent much time trying to think about what it means in a broader context. Again, I'm not telling anyone that they should believe in Q. I don't even think believe in Q makes sense. And I've written 25,000 words about it, so I don't have to go through it again on this podcast. But there is nothing in Patel's work that suggests there's a certain date. He has his ideas about when these moments will come. And I happen to share a lot of his opinions about that. He and I both believe that something should happen regarding the elections before the midterms. Because to fully expose election fraud under a government where the House and the Senate are Republican majorities, which is what is likely to happen after the midterms, to a lot of the country, that is going to signal some sort of Republican bias. All of this stuff just starts happening once the Republicans take power. They're just doing it for the party. They're just doing it now that they can. I don't want that. I don't think that's ideal. I mean, it's better than nothing, so I will accept it if we get to that point. I just don't think it's ideal. 
But ultimately, the date is irrelevant and there's nothing about devolution that requires things happening by a certain date. And I include in that the date in September when the election evidence from 2020 can be destroyed. So the question, why hasn't it happened yet? If this plan was in place, surely something would have happened by now. That question doesn't make sense and is irrelevant. It is a sign that people haven't put a whole lot of thought into why a plan like this would be initiated in the first place. Now, I've been talking about this for a year and a half. Why would Donald Trump just walk away, especially if he put in all this stuff to track the election and make sure that people could be punished properly if they were involved in stealing the election, especially with any involvement of foreign nations? Well, ultimately, what are the goals here? I would suggest to you, and I think that Patel Patriot would agree with this, although we haven't had this specific discussion, I would suggest that the goals are one, we need to fix a completely broken election system. And that can only happen when the vast, vast majority of the country understands that something is broken about the election system. People did not understand that on January 20th, 2021, maybe 50% of the country did, but 50% isn't enough. Goal number two, we need to get rid of all the corruption and the criminality and the communist infiltration that exists in the American government, the federal agencies and bureaucracies, the administrative state, the deep state, cut all those ties to global governance and return America to its sovereign state as a constitutional republic. The third goal is don't cause a civil war that is going to tear down society. Okay, the only way to accomplish those three goals is to have the vast majority of the public on your side. Now, it's entirely possible that they could have released all the evidence about election fraud, all the evidence about human trafficking and child trafficking and the manipulation and coordination with, for instance, the Mexican cartel all of the stuff about biolabs and corruption in Ukraine, the corruption with the Afghanistan war, everything about the coup that's been run against Donald Trump and against the American Republic since 2015, 2016, Russiagate, the Mueller investigation, the fake impeachments, the truth about January 6th. You could have just dropped all that on the American public at one time and you might have been able to convince the country eventually that all of it was true and real, all the election fraud, all the corruption. And maybe on a long enough timeline, we could have gotten rid of all of that eventually had we done it that way. The media would have immediately attacked Donald Trump. They would have attacked all that evidence. They would have said all of it was a conspiracy theory. Each and every bit of it would get lost in the shuffle and it's probably likely that nothing would get solved. I would listen to someone's argument. Otherwise, there's probably a good argument that maybe we could have solved it that way, but we couldn't have accomplished goal number three. They already had the situation set up. And we know that because the transition integrity project, it was also noted in Molly Ball's article in Time magazine. She did this long article about all the apparatus they had set up, all the plans that were set up in the event that Donald Trump tried to remain in power. 
And those plans included a whole lot of societal instability, riots, activists, protests, whatever they want to call it, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, domestic terrorism. That's what would have happened. That situation would be very, very volatile. And it turns out that as bad for us and the country as that would be, that would actually be a benefit to the people who want to see the country destroyed. The globalists who want to see the country weakened, the globalists who want to see Americans disarmed. That's a situation where one small spark turns into a giant fire and the country gets to some point of instability that is nearly impossible to recover from for years, if not decades. So the way to avoid that civil war situation is by the public reaching this common understanding on their own without that top-down force being applied. And then people are able to actually parse the evidence of election fraud, the evidence of the corruption and criminality when it comes out. That's what gives people the motivation to change. Not only their own understanding, not only their own apathy, their own lack of attention to what's happening in the country, but to use their own power individually and collectively to make the changes the country needs made. Now, I fully understand that the last 18 months have been a struggle for a whole lot of people. I've had plenty of moments in the last 18 months where the struggle sometimes feels like it's too much. No one wants to struggle. But the point is, you just have to keep going. Everyone understands that bad things are happening in the world. No one is happy about the fact that we see our friends and family, our neighbors, people in our community pushing for vaccine mandates and getting vaxxed, poisoning themselves. We don't want to see that. We don't like that. We don't want two million illegal immigrants coming over the border so that their labor and their political power can be exploited while the women and children are raped on the way. We don't want to see billions of American dollars being committed to foreign wars that are, first of all, falsely portrayed to the American public, but also unjust and not in our best interests. No one wants to see that. No one wants to see skyrocketing gas prices and food shortages. We don't want to see that. But that struggle is not as bad as being in a civil war. I think people really got to understand that. And no one has to understand that more than the people that think Q was some sort of operation trust. It was just meant to pacify all the patriotic Americans out there as if somehow the country would be better off if everyone had taken up arms on January 21st, 2021. That would have been terrible. We would still be in that state right now. Does anyone believe that that would have gone well. We would have seen the images we saw from the summer of 2020, the BLM Antifa stuff. We would have seen that represented in every city and town across the country. Or alternatively, perhaps, we would have had to become some sort of military state and we don't know where that would have fallen, which side would have benefited from that. But that's bad too. Now, maybe there is a hard date where they know they have to go by this date. This is when everything has to happen. Maybe there's that date, but also maybe there's not. 
Maybe the only gauge of when that date comes is how much of the public is on our side of the issue. How much of the public has woken up to the truth? They have abandoned the false reality. They have abandoned the party of false decorum. They are thinking for themselves critically. They are extracting meaning from an empirical reality and then making moral choices about what they want to see for themselves, for their families, for their community, for the country. And I'm sure they have metrics to measure that. And perhaps when that metric is reached, they will interject and the situation will be over. But also that might not happen. All of that may just exist as a backstop so that we don't get invaded by China, for instance. Maybe it's just a backstop. Maybe that interjection is just the last resort and it is left to the people to fix all of this. Ultimately, we have to be satisfied with that. The people have the ability to fix this. All we have to do is make sure that we are still pushing forward toward the proper goals. Because amidst all this struggle, we are still pushing forward. These goals are still on the horizon. It's our job to survive and to keep ourselves physically and mentally and emotionally stable and to keep moving forward in good faith. There's nothing about that moment having not arrived to this point that means devolution was not put in place. They could ride it out till 2024 and never tell a soul so long as the country still moves forward. In fact, that may be the best of all options. It would be a lot less satisfying for Patel Patriot, I'm sure. But if the people have the capacity to fix all of this on their own, that might be the best course. And Ed Henry asked at some point, well, you know, this stuff hasn't happened yet. Maybe it's better if we just look forward to 2024 and stop focusing on fixing the election of 2020. Now, that's a fine question because a lot of people think that and it's worth answering those people. But that's also not a question you should have if you are really understanding what it means for elections to be stolen in the United States of America. If we don't have free and fair elections, as Donald Trump says, by the way, we don't have a country. We don't have a government that is of, by, and for the people. That's not possible if people's votes don't count. So you can't just let 2020 go. That is the most significant thing, perhaps, that has happened in American history. A stolen presidential election, a fake president in office. People need to understand what that means for the country and for their lives individually. And unfortunately, that means for a lot of people that their lives have to be directly impacted. Something has to snap them out of their slumber. They have to wake up to all of this. Now, the fact that they haven't done so already means they are among the most comfortable or ignorant or apathetic people who have ever existed in human history. Because they are watching their country and their friends and their family be destroyed and it hasn't woken them up yet. That's very unfortunate. Some of those people are never going to wake up. But when the moment of truth arrives and everybody else forms consensus around reality, 
those people still remaining in the false reality are going to go utterly insane. But this is the point at which you have to really try to put your own struggle in perspective. I think about how people have been awake for so much longer than I have and how long they've had to endure the false reality and the effects of that false reality and try to guide their lives, knowing that all of this terrible stuff is going on. It's actually a lot easier and a lot more comfortable to be ignorant of all of that. And then think about all the people in this country whose lives were being destroyed by all that before it reached you. That's pretty fortunate. And then, of course, you can think about all the countries that aren't the United States of America that don't have the Second Amendment, for instance. Small countries without capable militaries who are kind of always subject to the whim of the more powerful countries that can dominate them if they so choose. Or poor countries who don't have the resources or the infrastructure. And their societies fall apart more quickly and in ways that we can't even imagine. But the real thing is, how does it serve anyone to simply give up? What world are you looking forward to? What world is ahead if you simply let America cease to exist? Just become part of the global community. We can all be governed by the World Economic Forum and the WHO and the United Nations. That's no world at all. And we know what future they are trying to manifest. It is the end of human liberty when you are tracked, when all your money can be shut off immediately, when your medical records are part of that tracking. You have to be up to date on all of your vaccines so that you can participate in society. They judge what you eat, what you spend money on, where you go, who you talk to. They can turn your electricity off. They can turn your electric car off. You cannot do a single thing unless you comply and unless you support the state. In fact, the only thing that reduces your suffering at all is how much you support the state. Where in that is freedom? You get to go on vacation once a year. What are you going to do? Get drunk in the sun and have sex with a stranger? Congratulations. What freedom? We know the future they intend. It is no future at all. This stuff is not date dependent. It's dependent on public understanding and the country unifying around consensus morality based on empirical reality. And whether or not devolution is at play or any other plan, that's where we need to go. We can get there without that stuff. It is our responsibility for ourselves, for our forefathers in this nation, and for the generations to come to do that. You don't have to put your full faith behind devolution or Q or anything else, although it would probably be good if you put your full faith behind humanity or behind God, because that keeps you moving forward. And I was saying to John this morning, I was like, man, you know, I've been thinking about the tortoise and the hare, right? What it means that slow and steady wins the race. Slow and steady still means you're making consistent forward progress. It doesn't mean it's easier. The tortoise isn't lazy because he's not as fast as the hare, but the hare gets cocky. 
The hair doesn't believe it can possibly lose the race. And we are up against a cocky enemy. People who believe that everyone else is dumb. It's incompetence combined with narcissism. These are the identifying characteristics of the party of false decorum of the people we are up against. And that will ultimately be their downfall. It is our responsibility to keep moving forward. And if we do that, what's happening behind the scenes doesn't matter. We keep moving forward toward the consensus, toward the proper goals, and we will preserve this country and we will see a much, much brighter day. I say over and over and over and over. We are on the verge of an American renaissance. It is up to us to bring that into existence. Now, let's get to some of what's going on. This is Steve Bannon yesterday on War Room. Uh, Cortez, I just got this for you, I think. Cortez, uh, Biden, strongly approve 4%. Strongly disapprove 54%. I got to take a hat tip just for the for the for a little bit of the war room. We said we killed this in the crib. Now, we were just a small part of it. But remember, we've been maniacally focused since we talked about we're going to kill this administration in the crib. A, I don't care if Benny Thompson doesn't like that or Nancy Pelosi doesn't like it or who doesn't like it. Justice Department, I don't care if you don't like it. Suck on it. We're destroying this illegitimate regime. And the people in Arizona are reporting they hate you guys. They hate it. How can you have a 50-point? I've never seen a number like that. Strongly approved four, strongly disapproved 54%. So he's talking about polling done by Richard Barris, People's Pundit, for Arizona. 4% in Arizona strongly approve of Joe Biden. 54%. Strongly disapprove. And we're told that Joe Biden somehow won Arizona. He didn't, of course, and we will have that proven beyond a shadow of a doubt in, I hope, the near future. 50 points underwater. Strongly approve versus strongly disapprove. That means 96% of Arizonans think there's at least something wrong with what's happening right now. And 54%, more than half of the people in Arizona think this has gone completely off the rails. How are numbers like that even possible for a state that we're told Joe Biden won? The answer is they're not. And think about what 4% this represents. These are the richest people, the dumbest people, and the most apathetic people. You have to be personally benefiting from this nonsense, completely ignorant to everything that's happening in the country, which means you are completely addicted to the central narrative, or you have completely tuned out. You think none of it affects your life and that the people who are struggling are probably just doing it to themselves. Those numbers are insane, and the entire country is headed in that direction. People in Arizona are probably much more in tune with this because Arizona has been a red state for a long time, and they're still a red state now. They know what's happened. They know Joe Biden's illegitimate. They know Joe Biden didn't win Arizona. But a lot of the country has been in some greater stage of apathy, obviously. Arizona's had their attention pretty well on what's happened since 2020. But those numbers are shocking. Those numbers are unheard of. 
Joe Biden's strong approval ratings, according to Rasmussen, are under 20 percent right now. Fewer than one in five people in the country, if the poll numbers are to be trusted and poll numbers are never to be trusted directionally and in a narrative sense, there's some value. But fewer than one in five people in the country are still convinced Joe Biden's doing a really good job. And almost all of them are Democrats. He's clearly much worse than that among Republicans and among independents. The fake administration is not only collapsing in the real world, they're collapsing in the public understanding. This is going exactly how we need it to go. Not on your favorite timeline. I understand. It's not on my favorite timeline either. But slow and steady wins the race. Steady progress in the right direction. That's exactly what we're still seeing. If your goal is the awakening, if your goal is full public understanding, if your goal is to have your personal struggle relieved immediately, then fine. You're still frustrated. I get it. But in terms of full public understanding, this is headed in the proper direction. Still, you want to know how bad it's going for the communists in the narrative? This bad. Rachel Maddow has to tell them this. That effort not only isn't just, you know, in the distant past at this point, it's literally ongoing. The week before last, the, the leader of the, the Wisconsin State Assembly um, told, Republic, Repu told reporters, excuse me, that, that Trump had called him and told him two weeks ago that he needed to decertify the results of Wisconsin's presidential election from 2020 now, which seemed insane that Trump was still making calls like that as recently as two weeks ago. But then over the weekend, look at this. We learned that in Wisconsin, the Republican who's the leader of the elections committee in that state assembly, she agrees with Trump. She wants to do it. She thinks they should decertify. And so now Wisconsin Republicans are trying to figure out, I guess, if they can call some sort of special legislative session to try to undo the 2020 election results two years down the road. They want to do that now because Trump is still pressuring them to do it. And so some of them at least want to. It's not over for them. A lot of impatience in the rest of the country as to whether or not people who tried to orchestrate this coup are ever going to pay for it. The coup orchestration efforts, meanwhile, persist. And hat tip to War Room for watching Rachel Maddow so I don't have to. Rachel Maddow is telling the 4% of Arizona and the under 20% of the rest of the country who strongly approve of the fake and illegitimate president, Joe Biden, that the decertification of Wisconsin's electors from the 2020 election is still a possibility. That is a real possibility based on reality, not based on Trump forcing them to. That's the part that she misdirects her audience about, because, of course, she can't admit that something real is happening. She has to convince them it's just all the conspiracy theorists, all the people who believed the big lie, all of the election deniers. They still still two years down the line want to see the election decertified. Why are they making that push now? Oh, it's because Wisconsin just ruled a couple weeks ago that the ballot drop boxes are illegal and were illegal in 2020. 
They have never been legal. That's what that ruling means. That's a couple hundred thousand votes in Wisconsin that were illegal. They already had over a hundred thousand votes that were illegal because of the indefinitely confined status. And it's been months since Wisconsin's rhino leader, Robin Voss, admitted to widespread election fraud in Wisconsin. There is no doubt. Janelle Branchin signed on to the resolution. That's who she's talking about. Janelle Branchin is the chairwoman of the Committee on Elections in Wisconsin State Assembly. Tim Ramthan was already on board with that. He put out his resolution months ago. Janelle Branchin signed on. Another member of the State Assembly in Wisconsin just signed on today. Counties around the country are decertifying their elections. They are removing the election fraud machines. This is a real effort directed toward a real outcome. Now, I can't guarantee it's going to happen. Can't guarantee it's going to happen soon. But there is movement in that direction. How can people who pretend to be the elected leaders and representatives of the people of Wisconsin just sit idly by knowing that the 2020 election was illegal? And that their state certified fraudulently appointed electors. How can they just stand by? They can't. These are problems that demand solutions. And it turns out the Wisconsin Elections Commission is setting up another fraudulent election. They have overridden the state legislature and sent their own guidance to election clerks throughout Wisconsin about how elections are supposed to be run. They're intending to run their elections outside of the laws that govern elections in Wisconsin. And this shouldn't be a difficult thing to navigate, even with dyed in the wool commies. The questions are simple. Are there laws about what constitutes a legal vote? Right? Simple question. The answer is yes, by the way. Should ballots that do not comply with the law that states what constitutes a legal vote be counted as if they were legal votes. Now, most communists will still say that they should not be counted, that the ballots have to follow the law. But there are some really committed commies that will be like, all votes should count. It doesn't matter if people didn't follow the rules. It doesn't matter if the clerks didn't follow the rules. It doesn't matter if the Wisconsin Elections Commission didn't follow the law That is set up by the state legislature. All votes must be counted. Well, those people are beyond hope. They're part of that 4% in Arizona. And you should immediately understand that they're operating in bad faith. If they understand that there are rules and those rules are broken, and not only is there no accountability for the rule breakers, but the results produced through rule breaking should count the same as results produced legally and legitimately, then it's pretty clear that they don't care what happens to the country. They only care that their needs are met, that their point of view is the one that's empowered. They don't care about legal means. They don't care about the will of the people. They don't care about one person, one vote. They can't even pretend to care about any of that stuff if they don't think it should matter whether or not the ballots comply with the law. But I think that most Americans, even ones who are committed Democrats, 
would admit that that's not the world they want to be in. So then were votes counted that did not fit the definition of a legal vote. That's all you have to get to. That's a yes or no question. The answer again is yes. And the answer to that question is yes. In every state in the country, there were ballots, votes counted that do not comply with the state's applicable election laws in every single state in the country. There is no doubt about that. And you can look specifically at the battleground states, in quotes, that we've been discussing constantly for the last year and a half plus. It's absolutely irrefutable that votes were cast that do not comply with the law, whether they were harvested, whether they were on the wrong paper, whether they were the result of fraudulent adjudications, whether they lack chain of custody. There are different laws in every state, and there are an equal number of ways that ballots were not compliant in every state. Therefore, it's clear that a bunch of non-compliant votes were counted in all those elections. Now, everybody responsible for certifying elections in every one of those states and then everyone in our federal government who has the responsibility of certifying those electors, all of them have involved themselves with the certification of an election that they know includes votes that were not compliant with the election laws of each and every state. So then the question becomes, did they just all do this ignorantly? Did they not know? Now, ignorance is no excuse whatsoever. It is their responsibility to find out whether or not the results they're certifying were produced in a fraudulent or even non-compliant manner. But the truth is that for the most part, they weren't ignorant. They knew what was going on. They knew they were certifying fraudulent or non-compliant results. And at some point, it actually doesn't matter why they did what they did. They did it. And each and every one of them signed on to a fraudulent election. That election was stolen. That's all you need to know. Those questions are unavoidable. And the answers to those questions are available without knowing the intricacies of how each and every particular vote was stolen. If there are laws about what constitutes a legal vote and votes were counted that weren't legal and people certified those counts that included illegal votes, then the election was fraudulently certified. If people did that to ensure that Donald Trump would not be president again and that politicians all around the country would not be able to take office after legally winning their elections, then we have stolen elections. And if there are Americans who accept that the election was stolen and think it should not be decertified, what are we supposed to say about those people? Those people are traitors to the country. They're communists. And that's not just my label for them. That's what they are. Now, I talked yesterday about Schedule F and how Donald Trump, in planning his 
second official publicly recognized term as president of the United States of America, plans to dismantle the administrative state and the deep state and how there's been a lot of blowback about that from Democrats, but not only from Democrats, from other members of the Uniparty who happen to have R's next to their name. One of them is the total con man, Kellyanne Conway's husband, George Conway. This is from Business Insider. George Conway says reports that Trump will install loyalists in his administration if he wins in 2024 is a cautionary tale. It's going to be more corrupt and lawless. George Conway said if former President Donald Trump is reelected in 2024, his administration would be more corrupt than the last. Really? How's that possible with fewer Conways in it? He was great at ripping away guardrails for four years, and now he wants to destroy all the guardrails, even if it means the cost of the civil service, even if it means the basically costs of a functioning United States government. Well, that's not a very good quote, but hey, we got to stop calling the administrative state civil servants. They are not serving the country. They are serving an agenda that is antithetical to the purpose of of the constitutional Republic. That is the United States of America. And we don't need the bureaucracy. There is absolutely nothing in the constitution that requires all of these ridiculous federal agencies and this massive sprawling bureaucracy that can never be removed. Conway was responding to reports. Trump plans to fill various government positions with loyalists. Oh no, the government's supposed to be filled with people who are loyal to the uniparty like George Conway. And isn't it amazing? Democrats are threatened by Donald Trump dismantling the administrative state. But it's not just Democrats. It's uniparty communists with R's next to their name. But hey, good luck, George. I'm sure it's all going to turn out just fine for you. This is from The Federalist today. Shocking news ahead. Are you ready? Exclusive. In private, Cassidy Hutchison joked about riots called J6 committee phony and praised Trump before changing her story. Nearly 18 months of private chats between friends from the Trump White House show that January 6th committee star witness Cassidy Hutchinson dramatically changed her story about what she knew and how she felt about what she witnessed as a White House staffer. When Hutchinson testified in Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi's Soviet-style show trial last month, the former White House aide to Chief of Staff Mark Meadows said she still struggles to work through the emotions of January 6th. As an American, I was disgusted. It was unpatriotic, Hutchinson said. We were watching the Capitol building get defaced over a lie, and it was something that was really hard in that moment to digest. In her two hours of testimony, Hutchinson made a series of blockbuster claims, incriminating former President Donald Trump, her White House colleagues, and even her direct superiors over their conduct as security at the U.S. Capitol was compromised by a horde of demonstrators. Relying on third-party conversations, Hutchinson claimed the president tried to violently hijack the presidential limousine to drive himself down to the rioters on January 6th. The claim was denounced as fabricated hours later. She said the president was aware that the White House protesters were well equipped with deadly weapons and still invited them onto government grounds anyway, dismissing security concerns. Never mind the fact that only a few face charges. 
And she said White House counsel Pat Cipollone personally warned her not to allow Trump to go to the Capitol or we're going to get charged with every crime imaginable. Never mind, Cipollone was not at the White House when Hutchinson claimed, according to multiple witnesses. Former White House lawyer Eric Hirschman also disputed another claim by Hutchinson, saying he wrote a note she took credit for. Left-wing media outlets were quick to brand the 25-year-old aide as the show-stopping witness whose testimony was on par with the most devastating revelations from Watergate. The Boston Globe said that while some call her the new John Dean, the Watergate witness whose testimony harmed Richard Nixon, she was actually more impressive. CNN said Hutchinson's revelations were worse. NPR called them explosive. The Bulwark called her a heroine. The Washington Post declared her commentary damning and even illustrated her appearance in an online graphic novel. The New York Times published an op-ed headlined, Cassidy Hutchinson changes everything. Yet in a series of private communications from December 2020 through May 2021, shared exclusively with The Federalist, Hutchinson commiserated with other targets of the probe about how little information she had about any wrongdoing that day and lamented how corrupt the politicized committee was. Far from being upset with Trump, Hutchinson repeatedly spoke in favor of him and his presidency. I would rather shoot myself dead into the Potomac than see Marine One flying around this city without 45 again. Hutchinson wrote in one message nearly three months after the Capitol riot. Well, I guess there you have it, right? Will they let it go? Will they let the Cassidy Hutchinson silver bullet dream go? Well, no, of course not, because they're conspiracy theorists and they're being led by a group of conspiracy theorists widely known as Blue Anon. You see, once Blue Anon has decided on something and all the very serious legacy newspapers and all the very serious legacy media outlets and big tech, once they have decided that one story is correct, it doesn't really matter how much evidence comes out proving that story false. They just keep on going with it. And all the child brains in their audience just clap right along the little circus seals that they are. They just keep trying to balance the beach ball on their nose, hoping one day they might grab the attention of Blue Anon and get promoted to SeaWorld. Because all that matters is what feels true. And you know what feels true to all of them? That Donald Trump and Trump supporters are the source of all their problems. If Donald Trump and Trump supporters say something, it's bad. It's false. It has to be because the no-no people are saying the no-no things. And what's most important is knowing that whatever the no-no people do is the most evil thing possible for anyone to do because it's a hate movement. And they don't care about the facts. They care about destroying Donald Trump and Donald Trump's supporters. In November 2021, Hutchinson was among the first former White House staffers to be subpoenaed by the select committee. In the weeks and months following, Hutchinson continued to disparage the politicized committee in private and repeatedly joked about the same riot she now says leaves her with emotional scars today. 
Six days after she was issued a subpoena, Hutchinson called the January 6th panel a phony committee. Around the same time, she told a former colleague her testimony would have nothing to offer. Other than a handful of irrelevant texts, I have literally no documents or anything they're asking about. One ex-White House staffer texted her. Same, she wrote back. Of being subpoenaed in November, Hutchinson wrote, We were effed by Benny Thompson, the titular chair of the committee. She joked that he would be sending her to jail and hoped that another friend would come visit her. In a text published by the Daily Caller earlier this month, Hutchinson called the panel's probe BS. In a group chat, a friend shared a tweet from another former White House colleague. The tweet reads, this is from Paige Willie. I just met a real life conspiracy theorist, totally irrational, radicalized by dangerous disinformation, in complete denial of evidence, led down the rabbit hole by fascist extremists to embrace fringe viewpoints. She thinks, quote unquote, Joe Biden, quote unquote, won the election. I'm literally shaking. That's it. That's the tweet. <laughs> that's a blue and on joke on Twitter. Do you get it? It's supposed to be the funniest joke ever. That's why they use it thousands and thousands and thousands of times. It's almost as good as when blue and on's like, ha, ha, ha. he said the quiet part out loud. Gosh, Twitter humor. Oh, it's the best. Hutchinson praised the tweet, adding when we win again, we're making her comms director or press secretary. Back in December 2020, Hutchinson had been happy to use the phrase stop the steal to describe efforts to contest the 2020 election. A January 5th, 2021 tweet notes that she stopped by the Capitol where Trump supporters had gathered. Gotta see our people, she wrote. In dramatic contrast to her new claims of being disgusted with the January 6th riot, in November 2021, she joked about trying to invade a friend's apartment in a building called Park Chelsea. Let's have an insurrection at Park Chelsea, she wrote. How about January 6th, 2023? By March, she was joking about placing a prominent image of Trump addressing his supporters from the White House ellipse on January 6th in the background of her Zoom recorded deposition with the select committee. She also joked she might use an image from an infamous scene in the Oval Office where Vice President Pence awkwardly sat between Nancy Pelosi and President Trump. I'm going to position myself so I'm sitting in Mike's chair, she joked. In May, Hutchinson outlined a conversation she had with a stranger in D.C. A real conversation that just took place, she began. Person on sidewalk. Your sweatshirt says 45. Me, yes. Person. Like Trump? Me, yes. Person stares. Me, I'm an insurrectionist. And then I put my headphones in. The end. Oh my God, Blue Anon responds. <laughs> she admitted to being an insurrectionist. Forget her testimony. Now she must be arrested. She admitted in a text message to being an insurrectionist. Before their public embrace, a very different view of Liz Cheney. Hutchinson also aimed fire at committee vice chair Liz Cheney, the Wyoming Republican, so consumed by her opposition to Trump and his voters that polls show she is about to lose her reelection bid. The two women publicly embraced in the committee room immediately after Hutchinson's testimony, an unusual reaction for congressional proceedings purporting to be legitimate. In a gauzy puff piece for The New York Times, the two were described as forming an unlikely bond. 
It was particularly unlikely given what Hutchinson was saying about Cheney until recently. In September, Hutchinson disparaged Cheney and Illinois rep Adam Kinzinger, the two Republicans handpicked to serve on the committee by Pelosi as a crop of losers. Discussing how other anti-Trump extremists had declined to run for re-election rather than face certain defeat at the hands of Republican voters, Hutchinson said she didn't think Kinzinger or Cheney would take that approach because their egos are too fucking big. She mocked their self-conception as the Republican martyrs. I think Liz being the future of the GOP is a massive stretch, Hutchinson wrote in one string of messages just two months before her appearance. I think she does have the power to cement the anti-Trump rhino movement and really capitalize off it on a national scale. She'll never, ever turn the tides in her favor, ever. Even if Trump were to fall off the face of the earth, her neocon policies are not where the base's ideological politics currently are, nor will head, she wrote. Still, she conceded that Cheney's hatred of Trump had tremendous sway thanks to corporate media's amplification and assistance. But I do think this maneuver is by consequence future shifting for the GOP in that she does have the power of the media, the determination and the cutthroat mentality to capitalize off this. Honestly, Cassidy Hutchinson mostly sounds like me when she's not sitting in front of the January 6th committee. I mean, she sounds kind of based. And for the sake of time, I'm going to skip down a bit. You're welcome to obviously go read this yourself in The Federalist. It's Molly Hemingway and Tristan Justice writing this. This is the final segment. From not caring what CNN thinks to media darling. The same media that would later celebrate Hutchinson had also drawn her ire in private before she testified on national television. A May 9th, 2022 Newsweek article January 6th committee using young Trump staffers to its advantage led one friend to complain to Hutchinson that the J6 committee was, quote, literally admitting that they're abusing the lives of young staff for political gain. Hutchinson wrote that a series of tweets adding commentary to a piece from Politico's Kyle Cheney had her, quote, red hot mad. Time and again, the January 6th select committee has broken through stone walls erected by Donald Trump's closest allies by turning to their junior aide and deputies, Kyle wrote. Nowhere is this clearer than in the case of Meadows aide Cassidy Hutchinson. The cooperation from aides like Hutchinson has given the select committee confidence they'll be able to tell the full story of Trump's attempt to subvert the election, even without help from Meadows, Bannon, Eastman, and Clark. I wanted to be like, the members literally told you they're taking advantage of us. So shut the fuck up and stop tweeting about me. Leave me alone. There is no story here. Hutchinson wrote in a series of messages. When another friend joked that Cheney was portraying her as John Dean, she replied, it's honestly nauseating. Hutchinson claimed CNN's Jim Acosta contacted her and said to her, quote, Thank you for your bravery and courage. We in the American people look forward to learning more from your testimony. End quote. Hutchinson said she had, quote, about 20 snarky responses typed to respond back, but just let it go. Like, stop warping everything, you effing J. I don't know what that J would have been. Maybe they were worried about writing jerk, jackass. It could be jackass. 
And I also couldn't give less of an F what CNN thinks of me, truly. Within weeks, Hutchinson would be basking in the glow of effusive praise from Acosta and other partisans at CNN, many of whom described her as more important than CNN contributor John Dean. Hutchinson did not respond to this story by press time. You are witnessing full narrative collapse right before your very eyes. And I really, really wanted to get to the Chuck Grassley letter about the FBI and the DOJ's interference in labeling the Hunter Biden laptop and information that portrayed Hunter Biden in a negative light disinformation. I'll try to hit that tomorrow. You can look that stuff up on your own. Just search for Grassley in the info stream on telegram t.me slash I'm your moderator. If you want to get quickly to that stuff, but I do want to share before I go one little snippet from Donald Trump's speech in front of the America first policy Institute today. This is his first return to the Imperial capital of Washington, DC, the occupied foreign territory right now, pretending to be the seat of American government. Since he left on January 20th, 2021 with air force one and the nuclear football as Joe Biden staged a fake inauguration in front of virtually no one under a bright shining sun that simply was not out in Washington, D.C. that day before taking a fake presidential motorcade past National Guard troops who were in Washington, D.C. and must not have known that the fake president was there because they all had their backs turned to him. Here we go. Still need somebody in the White House or it's not going to get done. It can't be done. You need help. And uh, I think that help will be forthcoming. And I think it's going to be a lot sooner than people think. Very important. So to get done what needs to be done, the congressman and the senators in the room he was addressing, he says, need help from the White House and help is on the way sooner than people think. So what is the end date of all of this? I don't know, but it's sooner than people think. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!